0: What's going on guys and welcome back to this week's episode of the let's just talk podcast super excited to be here with you all again and super excited to have yet another guest on i'm really excited for this one because as i was just saying off air um, as i was talking to rosie um, this is not an era i know anything about and so i'm just a curious human by nature and i'd love to just ask some questions about it all and i'm pretty sure rosie's more than happy to kind of let us all know but uh, before we get down that rabbit hole rosie welcome to the show
1: hi thank you so much Really happy to be here.
0: It's good. And we were speaking just off air that um, you and I have basically swapped um, states in that you're now in Victoria. I'm now in WA. When did you make the, the move over mm-hmm. East?
1: Um, at a very young age, when I was 15, I actually left home to study dance professionally. So I used oh, wow. to be an yeah, athlete and did homeschool. So I left when I was 15 to move to Victoria to become a professional in dance.
0: In what kind of dance?
1: Uh, so I was uh, one of those super freaks that was trained in everything and at a very high level, but I was mainly hired and uh, I was hired to do musical theatre, jazz, contemporary, um, yeah, even showgirl work. So I did I did it all, to be honest, oh, wow. yeah.
0: Well, um, I've got a fun little story with regards to dancing in that um I went and uh, backpacked around um, Europe, as most Australians do, kind of uh, um, post-university years, and I had a very close friend of mine who was a ballroom dancer, and he lived in the UK, in particular in Blackpool. Um, Sorry, just outside of Blackpool. There's a massive competition that's in Blackpool every single year. He was at a dance studio. What was it called? Croydon, I think it was. He's in Croydon. If you went to Croydon, and this is nothing I apologise for anyone who might be listening who lives in Croydon in the UK, but it's a bit of a shithole place to kind of thing. It's it's got, but it has one of the most renowned ballroom studios in the world, and a lot of people go there. He was training there anyway. I say all of this because when I went and backpacked around um, Europe, I was trying to save money as best as I possibly can to extend that trip as long as I possibly can. And he's like, "Hey, if you want to come, you've always got a place to stay um, here with us." And I was like, "That yeah, cool. That's um, that makes sense to me." So I went there and kind of got to meet a lot of the ballroom dancers and, you know, friends and circles. And because I just newly finished my exercise science degree, I was like, hey, you guys are doing some things that I reckon I could help strengthen you up. You could maybe be stronger in this hold or do better with your leg work or whatever it kind of um, might be. Um, And so I got to kind of be around ballroom dancing for probably really intensely for like four weeks. And I'm not going to say I learned anything uh, that was (laughs) worthwhile, but it was great fun to kind of be around the kind of dancing scene because again it's just nothing that i've ever been around and so um i have a soft spot for dancers it was uh, it was a great spot and they kind of took me in as if i was one of their own so it was good fun
1: it's a whole other world in itself the people and, the mentality yep yeah, the physicality
0: mm, and i mean I've, I've, there's always been that meme i think i've seen it's of a, a ballerina's feet and it's kind of like everyone wants to be a star until they realize how difficult or how much training it is kind of thing. And just, I yeah. mean, the torture that goes through any professional athletes um, kind of body, but dancers in particular, their feet and their ankles, their hips. I mean, do you have any leftover injuries from um, uh, those yeah, kind of years? But,
1: um, that's probably one of the reasons I actually got into Chinese medicine that, and other than um, a lot of family illness and a lot of people passing from cancer and wanting to understand preventative in terms of serious illness, but um when I was training full time, I would be dancing like eight hours a day. I had a lot of injuries and I would go to all kinds of physios, osteos and people desperately look, you know, desperately trying to find help to, how to get myself back on stage or whatever I needed to do, because there's very, it's a very competitive industry. So if you have a problem, you, it's, it, it's also very mentally um, not healthy in some ways it, it was very much like you don't you don't tell people about the problem you deal with it and try not to let on that there's a weakness there so um you would desperately look for ways to just keep going uh, and I and I found that acupuncturists or TCM doctors were some of the people that actually helped me the most and um I'm not sure if it's okay to segue straight away but I met this amazing doctor in Florida in the US and I was dancing there and he treated all the CEOs and top dancers around Vegas. And he was someone that completely um, changed my mentality around how I looked at my body and said to me really straight. And one of the reasons I wanted to get into Chinese medicine was that he was one of the only people that said it to me straight. And I needed to hear what I was doing to my body. And the impacts on how that was going to affect me long-term and I've already forgotten the question on what I was answering, <laughs> but I think, <laughs> what was even the question out of it?
0: I kind of remembered. I was okay. just interested in kind of, yeah, where, where are you going? And I'm obviously it's, it's head you into the direction of you and now your career path that you're in. And it's something obviously you're clearly very passionate about. And um, I think that's fantastic that I said, maybe a low light, and I can kind of relate to that really well in that I had, I was a tennis player um, as a young kid and, I don't think I was going to be the next um, Pete Sampras or kind of world number one, but I, I thought I was a pretty decent player and I had some good runs behind me kind of thing. But I blew out my shoulder as a 17-year-old um, and um, and yeah, I, I met an exercise physiologist that really helped me in that and it's kind of let, what led me down the path of exercise physiology. And so, you know, yeah. a dark time can actually become quite a positive um, thing from it.
1: So I was going to share so one of the things oh long-term injuries yes so I tore the meniscus in my knee really bad and there was an opportunity to get back I was actually dancing in China and I had to I was sent home to rest for three or four months it was pretty traumatic because I had to leave the job I was doing and my company had to redo everything without you know the dance missing and um, yeah so then I decided when I was having a break and resting my knee that um, the time away was actually really good for me to understand that I don't think I was happy as I, I thought I would be with the work I was doing. And I think that's a reflection of just not only the type of work but some of the people I was working with and just my where I was in myself. So that's what catalyzed me into getting straight into my Chinese medicine degree. But I do have a lurking knee problem and that's about it, so I'm going to call myself pretty lucky. But I'm lucky because I have Chinese medicine and I, I literally needle, cup, and just treat myself and get my mentor to treat me. So, I mean, not many people have the physical tools to be able to help themselves. So I consider myself very lucky and the the wisdom and education on how to um, maintain wellness where Chinese medicine really thrives because they... Um, a lot of the medicine's principles are about longevity and, you know, reserving and, and not overdoing it. It's that concept of balance, which is a little bit of an illusion. We're never going to be in perfect balance, but the idea of um, finding balance for each individual person is, is important so that we know what, you know, what direction we're going in. So yeah, Chinese medicine certainly shook me up and made me realize the reality of our physical bodies when you're an athlete, it's mind over matter. So the signals that your body's giving gets pushed to the side and you push through. I think anyone high performing, not only in a physical level but also mental level, we do get disconnected and Chinese medicine's all about bringing your physical, spiritual and emotional back together as one and honouring that.
0: that. I mean, that's a that's a really beautiful point that you kind of bring up that um... – I obviously have completely rebranded myself with kind of Balanced by Adam, um, which is kind of the Instagram page I have. Um, it's kind of gone over a whole heap of different evolutions over kind of my career path of 15, almost 20 years kind of thing that I've been in the industry as it is. But people always think that balance, when I'm talking about balance, but then when I get to talk to clients and people in more depth, they realize that there's much more to it. But you, you said it so well that you know there's this illusion that You're just going to find this place of balance and then all of a sudden the rest of your life will just be balanced and perfect and it all will be in harmony. And obviously that's clearly not the case. And what I try and highlight with people is that balance can mean that you do have blinkers on and that you're just going 100% in one way. But I say that you're going to accrue some sort of debt by doing that. And it can be like a a credit card. Is that If you've got a $100,000 limit on your credit card, even though you might have a $50,000 year wage, you can swap that credit card as many times as you like. But at some point, the bank's going to come calling going, "Um, we'd like our money back at the moment kind of thing. And I think that's very similar with regards to physical and mental health in that Mm -hmm. you can go out there and dance eight hours a day, day after day after day. But the body and probably to a lot of the degree as well, your mind's going to come calling at some point, whether it's one year in the future, 10 years in the future, or a lot down the line, and it's going to say, hey, I need you to pay that debt back. And that's kind of, I guess, where the balance kind of concept comes in that you put all of it in here, but it's going to ask and take some back in the future. And so have you found that yourself, obviously having all those years of dancing, are you still kind of paying that debt back in some way, shape or form now? Or have you found some sort of balance with that debt that you kind of put into the body uh, with regards to dancing?
1: Oh, a personal but goody question. I think, <laughs> um, I think, uh, yes, I would yeah to be really honest yes because um, that I, there is a physical reality to what I used to do to my body and that and some of my older injuries or um, I think just exhaustion I the, the level I used to push myself I think today I'm much more sensitive to points of pushing myself but I'm also a businesswoman owning two businesses so I'm still performing at a high level but I think the wisdom aspect that I've gained over the years is just recognizing when I need to, slow down and and or change change just change so that might be mental or food or I I might now go you know what I need to just exercise one time a week because of all this other stuff I'm doing or twice a week or I have more energy to now give more and it's just being comfortable and at peace with that and I think that's the wisdom part um so I think I am paying back debts but um I try not to see it as a negative I see it more as a um just it's just the next evolution like the next stage of my life because I don't think any of us get out of get through life without a level of trauma or suffering if it's not physical someone might go through an extreme emotional trauma and the effects of that could actually impact them for 10 years so um I try to look at it like I that was just one of my experiences and that's one of the things that affected my body because I treat so many people I can see that everyone's got their own things that are you know, that they're paying back that debt back to. Um, but that's where um, the preventative medicine is amazing in that. If you go through something intense, we can get you back to your normal state as quickly as possible so that the debt doesn't, it starts to drop as soon as, as possible. Because if we stay out of that balanced state for longer, it's harder to reverse. You just accumulate and accumulate and then you get the interest on it as well.
0: Yeah, no, Absolutely. <laughs> so Yeah. I'm actually talking to um, a finance guy in a couple of weeks on the on the show, and when I reached out to him, I said there are so many, I guess, parallels between the world of health and well being and fitness. I think they they do really go hand in hand, and there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from that kind of financial wealth and kind of generational and like kind of accruing that wealth over time or accruing that debt over time, and how to kind of get out of those kind of debts. And yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't see debt. As a negative thing like I I think it can be a lesson to be learned it can be it can actually benefit life and I'll sit there and honestly say to myself that the first kind of seven eight years of my career in building my business I had blinkers on to the rest of the world I was working 15 hour days six days a week and I I didn't really kind of look at the world it was just kind of build the business grow the business help people get bigger get more earn more it was more 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 kind of thing because that's where I think I needed to be in that moment yeah, in time. but where you need to be, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But it it did come at a cost in that my mental health really suffered because there's only so long you can kind of just do 15-hour days, seven days a week kind of thing and just burn yourself out um, at that kind of point. And I've benefited, though, from that kind of, as I said, that kind of time in my life where now I would do an hour or two of work a day. And that's where I'm happy at and that's where I'm happy living. I don't have this kind of urge to do these big days, build this big business because what's important to me now is going for a surf or spending time with my kids and always being home to have dinner with them and always doing those kind of things. That's what's important to me now. And so the idea of doing a big 10 hour day or something, I just, I don't know how I did that back then now, but thinking about that kind of now, that just doesn't interest me in any way, shape or form.
1: I think the um the suffering or the challenges that you went through at that time of your business was very good because the darkness suffering, whatever you want to um, identify with that time that was really intense and like exhausting for you, I think that would have been a very humbling experience at the same time and it would have like if you didn't go through that, you wouldn't be able to be who you are right now. so. You, you now have that level of comfort in being the other version of Adam around business, but you would have had to go through that to be there. So I, that's how I relate that back with my past, any things I've done to my body or traumas. It's the same thing. It's I need to go through that to be humble and understand that um, it's almost like paying your debt in like everyone's no one can get through life without having these types of challenges. So um, Yeah. I'd really try and encourage my patients as well not to um, judge the, the the not ideal aspects of life and embrace it because it's setting you up for something more, I don't know, if you want to label it spiritually enlightened or um, perhaps just more freedom or more peace. So yeah, I, I can totally relate to that. And that's great. That's great. Absolutely.
0: And I mean, yeah. to to that point, you, you said you said what I was kind of thinking of saying next as it was in that I have clients come to me now who feel that overwhelmed feeling that I know I went through, um, as I said, at that kind of eight, nine, 10 year mark where I was like, I've got too much going on. I feel overwhelmed. I don't know what to do next. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And i have going to, and instead of kind of telling people just you need to slow down, you need to stop doing that because they might be, as I said, at their part of their journey at the moment. No, no, no. They need to go through this or this is an important aspect and just trying to steer them or help, them, or, you know, help guide them <laughs> through that kind of time. To try and yeah. make that transition a little bit more um, efficient, is it maybe is a kind of that's thing. Right. Yeah, um,
1: it's got to come from within them, you know, when they're ready to shift. And that's that's definitely a if you're coaching people, the same thing. If you're working one on one in a treatment way, you, you know, you don't want to be. We talk about that as well, not interfering with someone's experience. Um, very traditional Chinese medicine would talk about, I don't know if you'd want to label it as karma, but just not taking on that because then they some of the Chinese will actually believe you take on. <laughs> I'm not sure I believe that, but my mentors would always say you can take on like the negative aspects of their experience. So it's very much about like honouring each individual person. Yeah.
0: No, I'd, yeah. I'd, I would agree with that to, be, to, to some degree in that um, I remember when, as again, I was very heavily invested in the business, I thought I had to be invested in each individual's um, kind yes. of life wholeheartedly to be, to be the best coach for them. Um, and yes. so, yeah, I'd have people, I mean, I mostly dealt with musculoskeletal type injuries. So if people were coming from a car accident, a workplace accident, hip replacements, knee reconstructions, those kinds of things I was kind of working with. And m- more often than not, they were very simple injuries that people were coming from but sometimes they were major traumatic events like a major car accident and people were going through some ptsd and some other things that i wasn't um i guess equipped to deal with but they were coming with that um baggage isn't the word i want to kind of use but i'll use it for lack of a a thought of using they were coming in with that baggage and i would take that on heavily because i'm like i need to be there for this person i need to take that on for them and kind of take that strain away because then i can be a better coach for them and i would go home with that baggage that trauma and thinking oh this poor person like they they can't walk anymore or they used to be a top line dancer or athlete and now they have to give that sport up and they, i can see that they're so depressed and down and i was taking all of that on and when you've got 50 60 clients you're seeing kind of over a a, a week or two week kind of basis that's a lot of kind of negative energy coming into your world and it, it wasn't until i realized that no no i can still be a good coach and not take that on and I think I've become very good at, and maybe to my detriment, to be honest, and if I I could go into deeper on that with how I kind of work with my kids and that Amy, my wife, she will sometimes see me switch off very quickly when I see one of the girls fall over and hurt their knee. And I'm just like, get up, move on, let's go. And sometimes I have to know, I probably should be a bit more empathetic to the fact that just hurt themselves, like comfort them, say, are you okay? What can I help with kind of thing? But all of those years of me being able to say to that client, as soon as the hour was done, all right, I've done seeing Rosie, now on to the next client. I'm not even thinking about that person anymore. Maybe has negatively affected me and how I kind of parent with my <laughs> girls sometimes. But I think I needed that kind of that barrier to kind of be put up else as I said, just taking on that energy day after day after day. I don't think it was doing me any good in the beginning, that's for sure.
1: Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Um, but yeah, I, I really think each day we have different capacity to like give or not. And um, I think also people manage their energy very differently. Like, I'm just extremely empathetic. And if someone's sad, I'm like immediately sad with them. So for me, I have to manage how many people I see and have practices in place. But at the end of the day, I kind of am who I am. And all the best techniques in the world kind of don't, <laughs> I've had a lot of work with, you know, trying to manage my energy around people, but I think, you know, I, I am designed a particular way and it's just kind of honoring who I am as well. So, um, yeah, I, I think each coach, each practitioner is very different and I think that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. There's a, I think there's a lot out there saying, do this, you you need to be a certain way, but I've never taken that on. And I even copped a bit of criticism through my university degree. Cause I would end up, um, <laughs> I don't know if I should be saying this, but here we go. I'd end up actually speaking to my clients too much to get told off for being so involved and getting to know everyone so much, but that's just, that's just kind of like what I think one of my purposes is and one of my strengths. So I've actually designed my business around so that I can spend time with people for that reason, because that feels more natural to me, you know, and more loving, but there are a lot of, um, a lot of expectations and methods that we are taught at university, and how to be as a health practitioner, and how many people to see, and what defines you as successful. So, um, I've never listened to that, which probably copped me a bit of resistance around me. But now that I'm my own person in the world, it's just freaking awesome. <laughs> just do what it. works. No, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and because it's a self love act from myself, then it, uh, it that is the most real and most powerful thing that I could do is be real to myself and not try to take on other versions. I think that's where a lot of practitioners also suffer because we're taking on what we think we should be doing and what would make us look good in a clinic setting or whatever. So yeah, I think that's, that's a big topic in itself, but something I'm also passionate about. I suppose.
0: Yeah. I mean, to that point as well, I, I think I'm getting better with it. I mean, I think, what's what was his name um mark manson the um the book the subtle art of not giving a fuck i remember a line in that book that really hit home to me because i thought when i started reading that book that it would be like you just got to stop caring about everyone else's opinion like it's it's a waste of energy and it's a waste of time and there's certainly some um merit to that saying but he said no 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 it's not about because what's i think the definition of a psychopath is someone who has zero feeling to other other people and whatever it might be and so he was saying no no it's not about not giving a fuck at all it's about you've only got a certain yeah. amount of fucks to give so give yeah. them out sparingly like give them out yeah. to actual situations or people who you should yeah. be care and warranted um, for <laughs> that and so yeah. i remember hearing that and going oh my god like i remember you hear business gurus or you know these kind of things like stop caring stop caring do this just live in your own lane and when I heard that comment I'm like I think that resonates so much more truthfully to the world in that people do try and care about everything that comes into their um, I guess their world and if you're going to give away all of that energy, then you're going to have nothing left for yourself. But if you can be more sparing about it and kind of give it away to those who truly deserve it or a situation that deserve it, then you can actually give much more attention and energy to that situation. And so be that a client or be that your your family or be that a workspace, um, obviously you can be a, a better husband, partner, sister, brother, work colleague, if you are kind of being that, I guess, more efficient with, How many fucks you give? If that makes
1: sense, I I think because there's with social media, there's so much um, content around self love and this and boundaries and boom, 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 and it's and that's great and it's true and it's really important. But at the same time, we are human, and I I personally believe we're here to serve, serve others, which is a direct link to our quality of happiness in our life. And if we're too um, rigid with fuck off, fuck this, and don't do this, and don't affect me, that's just not having a proper human experience and saying that though, you do need to be around people who respect you and honor you. And I'm very big on that as well, but um, serving people, I think uh, we look at other cultures and what they define as happiness and how I think we kind of lack in our Western culture. Yeah. We, we have a big disconnection there and we're very self interested in many ways, but again, it's important, but we do need, we do need depth, with the serving in our community. So anyway, that's that's a big, very, very big topic. So <laughs> it's
0: um, interesting that you brought up, as I said, having good people around you, you know, people that I said bring you life, bring you energy, you know, respect, you know, kind of what you who you are and what you are about. But I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast the other day and he actually said there's benefit <laughs> in having shit people in your life because he real you realize that's a shit human being and then you can actually really appreciate the good human beings that you've got in your life. And so it's kind of like if you only had um, good experiences in your life, you've got no kind of, well, that's a good experience. Yeah. There's kind of no sense of, well, and again, this is a generalization, but a lot of the kind of trust fund babies of the world who have been brought up on a silver spoon that have no kind of concept of down, they all end, again, I generalize, they all end up kind of being mental cases because they have no capacity of, well, this is bad. This is a struggle. This is how I worked through it. This is how I built resilience. It's like all of that kind of down times that, again, you don't ever wish shitty things to happen to people. But no. more often than not, people who get through those shitty times are better for them. And it helps build you. And, again, comes back to that point, as I said, having shitty people in your life. Not that I would sit there and say, you know what, go out and try and find five really (laughs) shitty human beings and just include them as your fringe circle kind of thing. But it does give you that contrast.
1: My question to that would be then what to find someone as shitty. Yeah. That's a really good, yeah. Someone might be having a shitty phase. I know a lot of great people who are just going through a shit (laughs) time (laughs) and it's bringing out so much pain and trauma that they're acting like a shit human, and I'm like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Where is your, like, awareness? But sometimes, yeah, and I suppose that comes with the beauty of being able to let go and let people kind of come closer and move away from you throughout life, and if we can just be a bit more relaxed with the fact that we're not not holding on to certain people and people are going to come and float around us back and forth and then friendships kind of get closer and they get distanced, I think we will have more depth that joe rogan was speaking about which is about um maybe it's not about making sure everything's perfect around us maybe it's about well first of all our internal world that <laughs> matters most because people are just going to do what they're going to do and yeah and if we're less less worried about the state of other people it doesn't matter if they're shit or perfect it, it shouldn't really matter either way it should really matter like how we do inside but you know if you're having a, great, a really bad day it's great to have good people to pick you back up again so I know what we're talking about, but yeah, the um, we have to be careful as well, not to ju- be too judgmental because that frequency is not very loving as well. And then we also within the judgment, bring ourselves down to being shit with them. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, I love how your brain works. I love that you actually picked me up on that comment and kind of asked that question. Well, what does, what defines a shitty person? Because I, 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 I am genuinely an optimistic person in life. I think, you know, it's especially around COVID and the whole situation that kind of came about that. My business got shut down. I couldn't work. That's why I moved to WA. I, I was never going to open up my clinic again. And it was never going and so I was like, I can't do this. I'm out of here. Let's just kind of move. Um, I didn't, I always knew it would work out though. How or why? I don't know if that's just because I'm an entrepreneurial type person. I'll figure it out. I've always had to figure it out. I didn't want to work for someone else because I figured they would figure out how my life kind of goes. But again, that's a whole other topic of kind of my personality and whatnot. But it, I'm, I'm a generally an optimistic type person in that we'll figure it out. Like society, humans. Trust in, yeah. and Self-trust. Just yeah. Absolutely. Not only self-trust, but world trust. Like there's uh-huh. a lot of shitty things going on in the world at the moment, but sure there's is. also a lot of really good things going on in the world and they don't get highlighted enough. And yeah, so I'm, yeah. I, I really am an optimistic person in that the world would sort it will sort itself out. We'll be okay. We'll, we we yeah. always have for millions of years. We are here because past generations, millennia generations ago have figured out how to get past different things in life that kind of maybe risk kind of civilization ceasing to exist kind of thing but we're still here and so I figure we'll still be here in a hundred years a thousand years however that kind of looks I don't know and I don't really care but I will kind of keep doing my best to keep putting my best foot forward kind of moving forward and so I love that you brought that up in that said that what really defines a shitty person because I think for the most part everyone is pretty much good and they go through shitty times as I said like Yeah. uh, yeah Um, what was it that I was watching? Oh, um, mm-hmm. Have you seen the new uh, Netflix series Beef?
1: No, I've no. seen that.
0: So, yeah, I love David Cho, and as soon as I saw he was in it, I'm like, this is a TV show. I have to, I have to watch. And I actually, only posted about him um, not too long ago because he's just recently oh. been on Rogan again, but his previous. Rogan podcast I think was the most raw and honest I've ever seen a human being in my entire life like he went through a mental breakdown on the show and he got through that meant like the things he shared and what he went through on that episode I cannot recommend it more highly for people to go and watch but in that's just to say I love David show just for the uh, raw honesty that he brings to the world but he's in this tv show and this tv show is about someone backs out of a car spot and the person that was going behind almost gets their car hit. She puts her finger up and says, "You yeah, know, fuck you," kind of thing. And then this guy <laughs> chases her down. And then the entire TV show plays out. It is hilarious. It is traumatizing. It is it is like it, it's a really good show. I, I highly recommend people go and watch it. But whether you do or not, it's showing how that one decision that that person <laughs> made had all of these things then. Um, play out over, and the final episode is just ridiculous kind of where it gets to but it's just to say that that person was just going through a really shitty day when they stuck yeah. their finger out and that person yep. who backed out who decided to chase after them had a choice in that moment they could have just said you know what that person could have just broken up with their husband today yep. that person could have just been told they've got stage four ca- cancer that person could have blah 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 enter whatever yep. you could and who knows why they put that finger up? But if you can kind of be more empathetic to that situation and kind of like, they're not a shitty person. They're just going through a shitty moment at, their, at this point in time. And so I love that you brought that up and I said, that's just kind of what came to mind um, from there. And you caught me out and I was like, hang on. Yeah, people t- don't tend to be <laughs> shitty. And I love that you did that. And it made me kind of really think about kind well- of how I said that.
1: I do want to say one more thing on that because um, I'm human and I get really annoyed at people and I catch myself being judgmental. I'm like, well, Rosie, let's just chill because the judgmental state I'm being is, is actually just going to make me suffer, not them. But I do think some people are in a, on different levels of awareness and that can, you know, that the frequency they're holding is very low or negative and shitty. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, and there's a level of choice in that, that they are choosing to maybe stay in that but that's usually tied up with trauma and old stories. And it's a, it's a very deep topic. And because someone might be going through a bad time, but that bad time might last a few years and they might be continuing to continuously choose to stay in that state. So, uh, and that can be a bit shit in itself. So I think there is a reality that some people choose to stay in those states and that can be hard to be around because you want to be compassionate for them, but then they keep perpetuating that. But within that usually is a level of righteousness or I get to be right with my suffering and I get to be right with holding on to my story. Um, And that can be a shitty frequency as well to be around. So, um, yeah, it it can be complicated. And, yeah, we, we really don't know what's going on with the person next to us. They might be having a great few months, but they might have just had a triggered moment. So it's very complicated. We need to just all be more aware, full stop, like full stop, because everyone's at different stages of their healing journey
0: yeah and yeah the analogy I, I always kind of go down for that pathway is that my wife was a professional swimmer um and i've obviously been around professional swimming um a lot because of her and it's it's a story as old as time is especially in um as i said in, around swimmers that i've seen is that once swimmers finish you tend to see them they put on a lot of weight they don't kind of seem to be taking care of themselves when they were this really athletic, you know, high performing kind of individual. And I kind of, as again, just to kind of come back to that analogy of um, I said, that person almost identifies themselves as this broken kind of version of themselves. And I said, the analogy I like using is that so often elite athletes have identified themselves as this is who I am. This is how the world knows me. This is how I am. And so when they lose that, or that's not kind of there, that story that they've told themselves that they can only be valuable to the world if they are this high level swimmer, dancer, whatever mm-hmm. it kind of might be, can kind of break down and it affects like, them in a in a major way. And to kind of then tie it back to what you were saying is that sometimes that trauma that people hang on to is how, how they to- identify themselves in that. Well, if I'm not this person who's broken, then who will love me? Who will try and help fix me? And so I need to try and stay on to that. And I've seen it so many times in, as I said, the musculoskeletal rehab world is that so many people, their their back injury, their knee injury has healed long ago, and yet they're still feeling pain or still carrying Mm -hmm. that pain in that kind of joint in that biomechanically, they're actually fine, but there's Mm -hmm. a lot of psychological and, I guess, social kind of pain that's being kind of brought into that because it might have been an injury that ended their career or it might have been an injury that they then took on, I guess, different caring from outside kind of people and like, oh, this feels nice. People notice me because I've got this injury and, oh, oh, no, I've still got this pain. And so it hangs on for a lot um, kind of beyond that. And I I say all of this, is that something that you kind of work within, I guess, the Chinese medicine kind of space in that trying to free that identity, or I guess that story people tell themselves?
1: Yeah, I think also um, it's getting really comfortable. Um, I, I mean, I've had to go through a lot myself to be able to understand and have the wisdom to be able to help people with this. And what I wanted to say and what you just said is that a lot of that sounds like it's just, it's, it's not letting the old versions of you die, which is one of my favorite expressions. <laughs> and every time I've gone through a particular trauma, I've had to tell myself like, that's an old version of you Rosie, like embrace this new and um, how that ties in with Chinese medicine in a clinical sense is that um, each, each day, each moment that's passing by in this present moment, we need to be letting go constantly. Um, and the more non-existent our, it's kind of like stop all the thinking and just exist. And that's where they say the energy from the universe comes through and can move through and help every all the energy move through the body. So the fundament, the basic, basic philosophy on Chinese medicine is energy flow or qi flow. Um, and qi flow can push fluids and can hold things in place. The energy is what's the life force behind the physical, which is the blood and the fluids. So. Um, if we are constantly holding on to something in a mental, emotional state, the Chinese say that that can then affect how the energy flows through particular organs or channels. So, um, in relation to what you just said before, if that person is holding on to a particular story or aversion or a trauma, um, that will be affecting them on a physical level in some way. How you can measure that and prove that, I don't think that's going to be possible for quite a few more years, but I personally think that the future of medicine will be more based around that because as time goes on, we are finding more physical evidence around psychological changes and physical changes. I just think the Chinese thousands of years ago figured out a level of it and now we're going we're gonna to do like a full 360 turn and kind of come back to it because there's so much value to that. What was the question again? Again, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so do you see that in clinics? Hell yeah uh, is everyone ready to talk and deal with that Hell no. so <laughs> the dance is about going like okay i can see and i think i know what that person needs but the wisdom part of being a practitioner is going just because i think it's what they need it might not be what they need and get rid of your ego rosie put it aside and just treat what's happening in the present moment try not to think that you know what this person needs unless of course we're looking at blood work so they've got a pe- I know what to do and how to fix something like that, but if we're talking about the psycho-emotional connections and manifestations from emotional blockages, that that can get a bit more complicated to treat. And I will say there are literal miracles that happen where people have come in. I mean, I had a guy who's had hip pain for almost thirty years, and he developed two chronic illnesses because he could barely move. And within about six six sessions, it's completely gone, and now we just do maintenance. But that's so much time to be holding on to pain, physically. So, there was a lot of fear to be able to move through and actually tell the person this could change. And they're looking at me with those looks going, I don't know, Rosie, like, I don't really trust you. (laughs) And I was like, that's okay. Like, that's cool. I just don't take it personally. And yeah. So now, but then the maintenance of that is letting them actually believe that it's possible to stay gone as well.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I think, yeah. (laughs) No, I think there has to be a level of readiness if someone is walking into your kind of clinic in that i've, I've always taken that it, I, I put that as a caveat because i would usually be referred um i, I, th- I would say 80 percent of my clients came as a, as a referral from a gp and so yeah. some of the time i will say as a caveat to what i just said in that there's a level of readiness for people if they are there in front of you is that sometimes they have been told you must go see this person and i feel that the moment they walk through the door is it like My GP told me I should be here or my wife said I should come down here. I was like, I don't think there's anything wrong with me. I don't think there's anything that I need to change or whatever the kind of front is that's being put on. And that person might not be in a ready state to kind of really make changes or kind of be ready enough to actually kind of move forward from wherever they are. But more often than not, I would say that most people, are, if they're in front of you at least, um, are probably in some sort of state to go, you know what? I'm ready here. I might not trust you, but I'm kind of opening the door to kind of, yeah, allow you to kind of come in and make some changes.
1: People are desperate for change and they're desperate for health. And, like, who am I to say what I think they could do or not do, you know? And um, I think the ego aspect in medical care is a huge problem. (laughs) And the suffering that then causes on the patient, that's an even bigger problem Mm. because the... I mean i have people come in all the time and they said i can't fix this and i said why what do you mean and they go oh someone so and so said that or my gp whatever i'm not hating on gps i'm just saying this particular story and i go okay that's interesting and we just talk about it and we realize we actually can't change it um yeah so i i think the it, it's a huge problem when someone says you can't change that or reverse that because that people take that on with trust and that becomes their reality and then they'll go 20, 30 years with that (laughs) reality. And trying to undo a reality that's lasted so long is hard when it comes to complementary medicine. So Chinese medicine, it thrives in prevention for a good reason, because when we start dealing with synthetic chemicals and medications, it's harder to reverse. So you can reverse a lot of conditions that aren't being intervened with man-made substances because that's just a matter of signaling the cells to do something different, so your own body. But when we come to intervening with that, then that can be more challenging. Yeah, I've lost my train of thought again. I've got like a million things to
0: (laughs) do. through. Your brain yeah. works very similar to mine in that I will yeah. be on a conversation pathway one time. And I'm like, why did I even go down these pathways? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but I mean, yeah. again, it's, it's I, I love that kind of, as um, it sense and it's kind of leads me to kind of what I wanted to ask from the outset, but I love the fact that we're 45 minutes into a conversation and we're, we're still going down different pathways and whatnot. But what I really kind of wanted to ask you, because it, it said it, if I will be completely honest with you and said that if I, we had had this conversation, probably even five years ago, but a hundred percent, 10 years ago, for me personally, I would say it's a bunch of mumbo jumbo. Let's just look at the science, 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 science. It's it's all I kind of kept my eyes on, but I completely and honestly say that I've become a much more open-minded person over the years. And it's more so probably since I've had kids because kids are such, I don't know, they're just a pure innocent joy. And the way they look at things just fascinates me. I love looking at my own kids um, obviously more so because I get to spend every day with them but when I'm at a playground and I hope this doesn't come come across creepy I love staring <laughs> at other kids like just kind of how they look at things how they take on things how they see things it
1: I don't the know presence. it just says yeah it, it's just so yeah. it's so
0: innocent as well I yeah. love that innocence that they have that um, you know the absolute trust and I hope my my kids don't listen to my podcast it's fine but the absolute trust that they have that Santa is real this imaginary and like just I love that joy and innocence that comes from that and so I say that I've become much more open-minded primarily because as I said my kids have opened my eyes to just be more present more innocent in how I look at things and so I say all of that to say it's why I reached out to you because I really am fascinated by what it is and I've been naive to the whole as said, Eastern philosophy, the Chinese med- you know, kind of medical fraternity. In that, again, I'm there naive, and it's just like you just are in there with a and mortal, you know, whipping up a thing like a witch, you know, kind of, you know kind of thing, you know. And <laughs> and so, yeah. <laughs> what I wanted to ask is like, what's the most common misconception around Chinese medicine when you know maybe someone has been say, you know what, I've got this amazing doctor, I've been seeing her, you should go ahead and see her. And so yep. I'm that person that's been referred to you by my best friend that's seen great things from you. And I walk in and go, what what are we doing here today kind of thing? Like walk me through, I guess, What, what's the common misconception and kind of then how do you break down that kind of, I guess, barrier of people kind of thinking that it's just all a bunch of mumbo jumbo kind of thing. And that, no, yep. there's some real science here. There's some real merit here. There's some real things that we can do to actually help prevent issues coming yeah. up or cure issues coming coming up. Yeah, just go for it
1: (laughs) so the science part that's the best because um i've always loved science and even part of me thought about studying western medicine for a while there and or i was going to be a lawyer before the answer so um i fully welcome the science part and that's probably why i tend to have a good retainment rate with my patients because i I explain the scientific aspects for example of cupping cupping is a when you're putting a cup on someone, you're you're causing a level of micro and you're stimulating the body to go into a more acute immune state. So if someone's got chronic inflammation and that their baseline level, cupping can bring them into a more of an acute state and help get clear a problem. I mean that is pure science in itself. We could there is research on it. There is a there is a lot. There needs to be a lot more, but there is plenty to show the physical aspects of how our tools work so gua sha which is the scraping cupping and acupuncture lots and lots of research around acupuncture now being clinically proven to reduce pain reduce well i would say get rid of but in terms of language we have to be really careful under our guidelines mm-hmm. so um yeah there's and that has gone so far to now you know encourage us into for us to be a scrutinized and highly high standard profession and we have a lot of standards that we need to uphold with because um, they want to keep our profession around and there's so much benefit to us being out there, but it's just making sure our language and our standard is to that of Africa guidelines and more of a Western culture. Um, So the science aspects I think is really important. And just because there's not research on a particular thing doesn't mean it doesn't work either. Or just because there's a little bit of research doesn't mean it's not weighted and freaking amazing and that's what i mean by what i said previously is that i think in the future with medicine that's the direction we're going to go in i mean there's more and more research happening in many avenues of health of course as history goes on but i feel like in the future there will be more and more around these eastern philosophies as someone who comes from my dad is australian greek my mum is british Um, my dad's side, there are Western doctors and engineers. I grew up in a family that was nothing to do with Eastern medicine. And it was like, I was pushed into doing it. And I had no choice because that's what felt more at home for me, but I've always been someone who's known myself very well and known what feels good to me. So I feel safe to be able to explore spirituality, emotional and science and, and non or non science concepts within Chinese medicine, there's a freedom with it that I was craving in my day-to-day. So, um, but yeah, it doesn't mean that there's not plenty of space for more research. There is definitely, and I would agree with that. But while we catch up with that, I think it's very important that we apply a lot of these principles. And it's gone so far now that physios and osteos and myos are all doing Chinese medicine, whether they recognize it or not. They're all doing cupping therapy, scape scraping, and dry needling. I'm qualified in dry needling as well because I wanted to understand their perspective on acupuncture. But they're essentially using acupuncture needles, and they're just applying different principles. So when we're doing dry needling, you might go to your physio and putting in the needle to cause a muscle twitch or to release a muscle or a fascia, fascia, the connective tissue. But when an acupuncturist, I've got my chart in the background, when an acupuncturist looks, let's say, at calf muscle and we look in the middle of the calf muscle, there's a point there called bladder 56, we might needle that because we palpate the channel and we go, oh, yeah, it feels a little bit blocked or could do with a bit of care to open. We might needle that to help someone's urine flow, whereas a physio might be looking at going, okay, you've just got a tight calf, let's release it. So, um, but we also do both. So we can look at it as a muscular perspective, but we can also look at it as a full channel. And that's one of the reasons I get so excited about Chinese medicine is that I'm pressing someone's ankle and they're going, ah, and they're going, why does that hurt so much? And I go, oh, it's your kidney channel, you know, and then we find the symptoms for their kidney function actually improve over time. So it just blows my mind how they they figured this out so many years ago, thousands of years ago but um, I'm very aware of the misconceptions or maybe the um, I think it's just a lack of education first of all westerners we're just we're notorious for being in our bubble and for very good reasons we've got very busy lives I mean we don't have time to be educated on what's going on in every culture and we have to really seek it we have to seek spirituality and or religion or practices around universal energy it's not taught to us and every day nothing's discussed really like that on the media and it's if anything it kind of gets ripped away from us so a lot of eastern medicine is tied up in those philosophies which is part of the problem which is part of the reason it gets judged but it doesn't mean it's not freaking awesome technical term right there freaking awesome (laughs) um what was your other question adam so misconceptions is probably around the the um that that it's airy fairy or woo woo, but how can we argue that copying or acupuncture is airy fairy or all about energy? It's not. We're putting and we're putting a foreign needle, an object into the muscle. There's going to be a local immune response because there's something going in. We can prove all of this through science. The spiritual aspects, maybe not. And how each point along the channel has a spiritual component as well so the chinese used to believe if the body is diseased it means the spirit's diseased so what they would do for example there's a point here called lung 2 it's called cloud gate if someone has problems finding inspiration we would needle lung 2 to help get their heads in the cloud help them find clarity in their life so the chinese would needle these points to help them spiritually evolve and then the body would respond and change which is phenomenal so um that is not going to be proven
0: scientifically
1: <laughs> perhaps.
0: I don't know oh, what don't the future know. Yeah. It's it's yeah. interesting you say that because I I mean my question kind of was gonna lead in that as you said, you know, <laughs> the eastern cultures have been doing this for thousands of years yeah. and yet I mean, there's probably texts that were written thousands of years ago and may have lost over time, yeah. but maybe they're yep. kind of been found and things like that. But i know you said you know you know you love you love science you love the idea of researching yeah. you want to see more of it kind of come in do you think that i guess a lot of these practices that and there's a lot of smart people out there that probably can find a way to and maybe not right now but maybe in the future there is a way to test how the spiritual level of a human being or that kind of as i said that stuff that can't be written on paper kind of thing that you know yeah. people do feel better they do um, elevate their life in a way via different, I guess mechanisms and ha- that kind of come into their life. And so again, we might not have the actual tools to measure that now, but I again, I'm, I'm an optimistic person that maybe in the future there is a way that you can actually measure whatever that is that we're kind of trying to talk about there that you know a lot of those philosophies that they spoke about that you know you said, lung too, you know, to get their heads you know above the and clouds. The clouds find, yeah, you know, finding
1: help. inspiration. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Again, I those kind of things that I'm sure you've got dozens, if not many, many more, kind of stories where people have come in, they felt clouded, felt, you know, demotivated, not inspired, <laughs> where that you've done yeah. an acupuncture and all of a sudden, whoop, you know, their life has kind of come back into them, that energy has come back into them. And then that that's not that's not just anecdotal. I'm sure you've done it time and time and time again. And just like any kind of research in The kind of scientific way it needs to be repeatable. You need to be able to test it. You need to be able to see it. And as I said, you might not be able to actually see pure blood work or muscle function or strength like we can see hard raw data now in those kind of areas. Who knows? There might be I don't know some sort of handheld device that can test your level of your elevation of your soul or like I don't know. Like (laughs) I said, I'm I'm I'm, might be talking completely out of my ass here at the moment, but who knows?
1: The good thing, Adam, is that there is plenty of hard evidence. For example, there's a point on the inside of the leg called spleen six, and when you needle that, it stimulates interleukin six, which is an inflammatory marker to drop. And that is on the spleen channel, and the spleen organ on your left side, under your ribs. Really important for immune function, inflammation regulation. I mean, how the f did they freaking know this? You know, like, but there is like the ugh, there is just so much out there that anyway. Um, there, All we need, I personally believe, personal opinion is I think we just need more evidence and just more discussion. But unfortunately, there's also not a lot of money to be made on in doing treatments like this because First of all, you have to treat every human individually. And that means time with the person. And time is what we refuse to bring into our culture. (laughs) We're all about, let's go, go, go. I've got five minutes do next, next, next. So if someone has to sit down and look at you because it's an observational-based medicine and go, I need to do these 10 points today. We need to give these herbs. We need to talk to them about the frustration. They need to let it go, for example. I mean, that's going to take time. And if you look at the health system we're in, that is a controversial topic and a lot of people do very good work to keep us healthy I'm not saying they don't but we are in a very serious situation personally I believe in that we are certainly treated like a number in many ways I know a lot of practitioners don't out there and doctors and nurses as well but because of the number of people who are sick and the number of people on the planet we are just we're just another number we need more people doesn't have to be a TCM doctor and it could be a physiologists it could be an Austin we need more people looking at the person going what's really going on here man like how the fuck are you (laughs) you know because that will take off the burden on the mainstream system as well um so we need our emergency care we do but almost always we should be putting a lot of more time and money into our prevention but we all know that's not really the direction we're going in yeah it's just not enough money
0: yeah very true but um to your point I've I mean I think most of or most healthcare systems around the world are kind of based on a model of curative type approach. Okay. You are sick. Mm. I will fix you now kind of thing. And again, prevention, we know wholeheartedly it saves money and it saves time in the long run, but again, it's hard to kind of convince people. If you do this, you won't have a problem. Whereas here's a problem. I can fix it kind of idea. And it's difficult enough to kind of get people to kind of preventively preventatively kind of take care of them themselves in their own space.
1: You know why I wonder I is sorry, sorry to interrupt you, you know why I think that is? It's because it's our relationship with ourselves as well. Because the culture is you keep going, you don't you don't you don't act on a level of self-love for yourself and others all the time. Because if we were in that space and taught how to do that for ourselves, we would recognize when we're not quite right and we would be seeking care. But it's the culture of you you better suck it up until you get real bad and then we'll get you to a doctor. I think that's more the root of it. It's the culture behind it and it's the mindset.
0: So yeah. I want to push on that point there because it's, it's something I've always kind of thought about or believed in that the education system as it is mm-hmm. it was great for us 150 years ago because we were going through the industrial revolution. We were going into manufacturing. We had to kind of yep, build people that were good at kind of here's, here's what you need to learn. There yep. wasn't the internet to kind of just Google something and kind of find it out. You had to teach it. You had to learn in a kind of very structured tight way, but we live in a world now where chat GPT, artificial mm-hmm. intelligence, Google, these kinds of things can answer a lot of the questions that we get taught in a rote learn type way in a, in a, yep. in a I guess, most education type systems. And, when I have these, I, I love these kind of conversations with my wife because she always then kind of follows it up with, "What's the answer? What do you do?" And it's like, "Well, I don't know. I don't have the answers." But I really heard a really interesting point the other day again on a podcast and saying that we got to we got to kind of stop teaching kids the kind mm-hmm. of rote learn tight way. Two plus two is four. I was like, a "Kid, I mean, again." I say all of this and I, I'm probably going off on a kind of tangent that probably has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but it kind of does lend in the idea is that if we keep just teaching in this way, it's not going to allow, I think, kind of people as a whole to grow up to think critically in the kind mm. of, yes, 2 plus 2 equals 4, but how did we get there? Where does that come from? Like kind of just going beyond just the rote learn kind of way and it kind yeah. of then lends back to your and what you are saying is that we're being kind of conditioned to just like, keep going, keep going, keep going. Now something's broken, now I'll fix it. I think if we can kind of start by teaching to be more emotionally aware, spiritually aware, um, I guess aware of kind of what's going on internally and being able to verbalize that, question that, that people will become more in tune, I guess, with how they are to then go, something's not quite right here. I need to actually take action before, something breaks and whether that's kind of going down the path of as i said seeking out someone like yourself or there's a little niggle that kind of starts up that you go and see a physio before it becomes a a torn achilles tendon or whatever those kind of things are i think it does go back to start with primary school kids let's stop teaching them in a way that worked 150 years ago like why can't we start educating them about emotional intelligence why can't we start talking about spiritual in a way doesn't have to be religious but it can be spiritual on higher frequency lower frequency the things that you were kind of alluding to today and alluding to i guess meridians and different things that are kind of you know as you said you're speaking about that i know nothing about that you would know much more about like talking about these things that so they don't just become airy fairy type ideas and two plus two is the only thing that we kind of are are taught and kind of wrote learned
1: Mm, yeah i think from a young age we have I think the most natural way we can be is actually high intuitive almost psychic in some ways a lot of I think a lot of us actually have a lot of those capabilities but it's it's the environment we're put in it's the life experiences we have that pull us out of that space and it's just (laughs) traumas and yeah the people we are around so I think um yeah normalizing a lot of just listening to intuition can go would go a long way for us but uh, without sounding too controversial, I think there's a lot of benefit to us not being in tune with ourselves for corporate corporations and being able to sold things. It's all about if you're less educated, you can be manipulated as well, not just in the health industry, but just any, well, anything to do with selling you a product as well. The less you know, the easier it is to kind of convince you to buy something. So there's a lot of weight and uh, power behind us staying the way we are. So, for us to change it has to be coming from people <laughs> not on the, the top running things probably people may not sorry that's the poor way of saying it um maybe not people running particular corporations but people in different types of communities and get more weight behind them and to bring change forward but yeah that's that is the best question to ask like how can we actually make it happen Like, put it into action and help people change but um I always say the change can come from within you. So if one person just decides to live a life more connected to respecting and honoring their body, the whole impact of that could, that can impact a whole community. I helped one person and that has helped now helped like 10 people because mm. they're all taking on, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like just amazing. <laughs> oh, this person took on what you said. Oh yeah. I was like, this is insane. Um, so one person can just ripple off and make a huge change, but people have to want to hear it as well mm. which means they have to love and honor themselves to the level where they can receive it
0: i guess it it's it's almost kind of like the movie the matrix in oh, the, yeah. some people are actually very happy to live inside the matrix and this is, is right? not a red pill blue pill <laughs> type thing so please don't think that i'm kind of going down that kind of pathway but like people are happy to be blissfully unaware you know you know what I'm actually pretty happy with life. Things are going pretty all right. I'm not going to kind of stir the boat here too much. I'm not going to kind of mix things up because it's it's actually okay. And uh, what was his name? Chris Williamson, I think, was talking about on his um is was his, what's his pod, pod, um his podcast is Words of Wisdom or not uh, sure, so. I can't remember what it is. It's a fun, it's a really good podcast. I um I'd highly recommend anyone listening to it. I'm pretty sure his name's Chris Williamson, but he was saying there sometimes needs to be like a level of it's almost like a critical um, critical point kind of comes in that if your life is just okay that you know your boss isn't that much of a dick he's all right uh Mm -hmm. your 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 your, um partner or your marriage that you're in it's okay we fight a little bit but you know it's not that bad like if it's Mm -hmm. not bad enough there's not enough of a um i guess a a push to make you make a change and so he was talking about there needs to sometimes be, you no, know, there needs to be a, a really big point where yeah. for you to change your career or leave a marriage or make mm. a decision around your health and well being. Unfortunately, sometimes that can be a heart attack and people don't survive the heart attack. And it's like, well, I should have listened to signs a long time ago. But there okay. sometimes needs to be enough of a kind of push to actually make you make that change. And so he was talking about... Um, Things need to get worse before they can kind of get better for some people. In that, again, I'm I'm not saying it as clearly as he kind of did, and I apologise. Probably butchering so- his podcast, but um, it kind of what you were kind of saying is that becoming more preventative in our kind of thinking rather than curative is a difficult thing to do because if there's in quote nothing wrong, it's yep. it can be difficult for people to go well. Why should I bother taking action? There's nothing wrong. Whereas if we do talk kind of more preventative, it's like, well, yes, there's nothing wrong. But if you actually take steps, you can keep there being nothing wrong kind of moving forwards. Whereas the pathway that you might have been taking could have been leading you to a place where, mm-hmm. no, something's going to break a year in time. When we go all the way back to the start, where we were talking about kind of paying debt that that debt's going to kind of be called upon at some point. And, you know, if you Wait can it. kind of take a preventative approach, you, you don't have to kind of take on all that debt. You can pay it down.
1: We need to be also, this is controversial about to say we need to be intelligent enough to understand just because, for example, our bloods look okay doesn't mean things aren't entirely problematic or something starting to go wrong in our systems. And this is where really specialized practitioners can actually pinpoint stuff where we can say, you know what, that actually doesn't look quite right. And we've noticed over the last year, your bloods are changing this way. Let's make sure we further investigate that. We can catch a disease before it gets triggered. Amazing stuff. But it's, it's education, and people, well, that's where complementary practitioners, even highly skilled nutritionists, people who can run specific gut testing, Chinese medicine, we look at the tongue, we look at the pulse. I can we can see in the tongue where something's starting to form where they might actually be at risk of an injury before it even happens. I mean, it's insane what we can do. So I mean if someone if we could all just <laughs> see a Chinese medicine doctor like once a month, for example, imagine how the world would change.
0: And I, I'll ask you that point because that's where, kind of where my head was leading to. What is, two questions kind of come to mind. What is the typical person that's coming to see you? Like, are they, again, for lack of a better word, are they already sick or broken or have issues that they go, I need to fix this? Or are they, and then the follow-up question is, like, why would someone come to someone like yourself in the first place?
1: Uh, Most people are coming here, I think, Based on a level of curiosity as well, I don't know what it is, but my husband has got a lot more energy and his face looks less yellow and his hip pain of 30 years is going, what the F have you done? Um, So there's a level of curiosity and people deeply desire to be happy, peaceful and well. So they see someone that's maybe or they hear about someone that maybe is not going to judge them or can listen to them openly. And they're like, man, I am craving that because I've been gaslit by so many practitioners. I swear something's wrong with my body. Can you help me? So there are there are some people that come to me just being like I just want to feel better, and then there are a lot of people who have serious chronic pain, and they're like I'm desperate, get rid of my shoulder pain, or I've got chronic fatigue, I've got chronic reoccurring tonsillitis, or I can't get pregnant, or I'm in the middle of IVF, or my depression is so severe and I'm going in circles. What can we do? So we can we can always do something for any disease, whether or not is the it is the answer that's entirely dependent on the case and the other question you had was
0: kind of (laughs) I guess more so like why would I kind of come to see you and I asked that question more so just like if there's someone sitting at home now as I said I always like people walking away from my podcast having to be able to take away some little nugget and so if the nugget I mean I think we've had a fantastic conversation day and I've really enjoyed it and I thoroughly enjoy your kind of your way of thinking and kind of what you shared with us. So I really appreciate that, but kind of for someone to walk away with something they can kind of do is like, you know, maybe is it go and experiment, not experiment. That's not the word I wanted to use, but kind of it's go and um, go and experiment. I'll use it then. Um, go and experiment <laughs> by calling up your local Chinese medicine practitioner. And you tell me kind of what they might be called or how mm-hmm. they can kind of find that um, in their area and find a good one. Maybe you can recommend it. Obviously you're in um, Melbourne, um, but mm-hmm. Why? What is someone going to get out of coming to see you? Is kind of what I'm trying to get at. Is like they will walk in the door and kind of like, what am I doing here? Kind of thing. But I, I really want a positive kind of energy, kind of going into their mind to be positively curious about it, not just like, well, Adam suggested this. Oh, I might go. Along. No, actively they want to go and do this because you know what? This person could benefit my life. I'm going to go and do it. So I kind of wanted to ask the question, like, what can they expect by walking <laughs> into, be it your practice or a typical kind of Chinese medical type.
1: Practice. Okay. I'm going to be frank with you right now. Each practitioner is so different. So look, I'm going to warn you, you could go to someone and you're like, what on earth was that? I feel like they didn't listen. They just put needles in me and they just gave me herbs. And I don't know what the F this Chinese herb stuff's about, but some people might like that and they go, I just walk out. I just feel so much better. And take my money and some people want a more interactive can you explain to me rosie like what is the root of my issue and i'm like yes let's talk about it so i just a heads up being frank to everyone listening you need to find the right person for you i can recommend adam some people in WA, but i don't know very many people personally and i'm very funny about you know knowing them personally to recommend so um but yeah if someone was going to see me i would tell them what they're going what they can expect is to actually become more educated. First of all, does someone know how their immune system works and what their liver does and why they need to sleep early and um, how energy flow actually works and the importance of making sure you stay in an emotional state? Because it's one thing walking in and feeling better and your pain going and you've realised you're not crashing in the afternoon with your energy anymore. like, oh, that's a bit weird. Okay, that's different. But do you know how to maintain that? And do you understand how your physical body works so you can keep healing yourself every single day with your food and your lifestyle? So I think a really good practitioner and doctor with good integrity has the will to want to teach people how to help themselves because that's very powerful. It's a matter of finding the people that can do that and also people that care about what they do. You need to find the right energy and people with good intention and a good heart because the session you will find there is a lot of there's actually scientific evidence around people trusting their practitioner or surgeon and the outcomes are noticeably different and they recover faster so what you can expect is to to become more educated on how to eat sleep live and take care of yourself physically emotionally from seeing a chinese medicine practitioner yeah i hope that kind of answers
0: yeah, absolutely. It. It's exactly kind of where I was going to. And I I love again that you use the word trust. Um, yeah. in that I obviously I'm I'm a, a very hands-on practitioner. A kind of exercise physiology tends to be like obviously we use exercise as our therapy, but I always had can't say always, I would say 95% of the time, anyone's first session with me was always let's sit down and talk. I need to hear mm-hmm. about where you're coming from where is this injury stemming from is it more like biomechanical or is there a kind of psychosocial kind of aspect that's kind of coming behind it like let's actually talk and i always got weird looks in the beginning because most people would come to me going exercise physiologist they thought are we going to hit the floor are we going to get into exercise he's going to get me moving and he's going to test me on this parameter or this strength or kind of whatever it was but i I think I governed a lot more trust from people because I would sit down and say, start talking, let me know. And I would just sit there and listen more often than not for an entire hour to let this person just mind dump everything that they had on their mind. And sometimes as I said, it would start off as, well, I've got this knee um, issue that I have, but then it just stemmed off onto a hundred different other things. And they'd maybe been to a physio, had had been to other practitioners or had been only in front of their surgeon at that time. And it always been about, the issue, the injury, the thing that's going on that were there, they weren't allowed or this space to kind of just start actually talking about everything else that's going on. And mm-hmm. I felt as though that that trust then was built in that first session much stronger than it would have been if I just said, Hey, Hey, Rosie, welcome to our session today. We're going to hit the gym. Let's go. It's like, hang on. You haven't even spoken to me. You haven't asked me any questions. Like, right. And so I <laughs> think trusting um, that process and being, feeling confident that you can ask those questions or, feel free that you're not being judged by the person that's sitting across um, from you that I'm going to start talking about these things. And I always get eye rolls when I've spoken to other people kind of thing that, you know, this person's not going to do that. You can trust them, that you can kind of be there. So to your point, there's shitty practitioners everywhere. And I know everybody's spoken about that. Maybe they're just going through a shitty time in their life, but at the end of the day, there are shitty people that just don't suit you (laughs) in that particular moment. So Maybe is it is just kind of almost like a an application process, and go and speak to a couple of different practitioners and see see which one you kind of feel most trusting in front of. I think is the best place to go to.
1: Yeah, I w- yeah, I, I, I do know lots of people who have tried Chinese medicine, and they're like, I, I don't know, like I don't know what that was. So I am not taking other practitioners, but I think there is a breakdown in communication. Yeah, and, and the practitioner needs to explain why I'm putting in a needle here, not just, we're moving your chi. Yeah. What the hell does that mean to a Westerner? For sure,
0: for Westerners sure. Westerners
1: don't really. Most Westerners don't care about that. They want to know, how are you going to fix me? What do I yep. need to do? Yeah.
0: I agree. Um, I did have a couple of questions that came up, and I think you kind of, um, when I put out a question box the other day, um, you kind of touched on cupping today, and I've seen a couple of your videos using it as well. And um, I'm certainly quite curious, but there was a question. There's a cup right there Um, for anyone who's only obviously listening. um, I want you to talk a little bit more about it, but the question kind of came through, what are the benefits of cupping and how long before the red marks go away was one of the questions that came through. Oh, The red
1: marks that's assuming that someone has red marks or even the color actually comes to the surface. So um, it looks like your screen's frozen.
0: Am I still there? No.
1: Oh, your screen's frozen. That's okay. So, yeah, there you are. Um, So how long until the marks go away and what was the the, other part? the,
0: The first kind of part of the question was what are the benefits to cupping?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, benefits. So if we're looking at it from a musculoskeletal perspective, meaning muscle health, when you cause the vacuum effect to to the tissue the body is going to rush a lot of lymphatic and fresh blood to the area so it's forcing a level of pressure change that i say so if you're thinking of like a pipe system through your plumbing the water might start to get clogged up maybe something slowing down on the insides when you create you get a plunger and you plunge it out then the pressure goes whoosh like that and the body goes oh my god thank god I can now re-regulate and recover what wasn't flowing as freely. Now, what causes the blood and the lymphatics to not flow freely? That could be, um, it could be to do with our lifestyle, how we're sitting a lot. We've got a lot of lactic acid building up because we've been training at the gym or sitting or being sedentary, or perhaps we've got a lot of toxicity in our body from the wrong foods. Or it could be to do with our lymphatic systems really, really working hard because we have a lot of mold exposure or toxic exposure or we've gone through a lot of physical emotional trauma or something's happened and things have slowed the movement down so when we're doing cupping we're forcing things to move and we're also causing an acute immune response um, where the body goes oh my god there's been some small trauma to the tissue we now need to repair it so if our body's a little bit like sluggish when we force it to to recover the body goes whoa i need to like wake up and repair this quickly so there's a lot to be said in how the cupping is actually applied and the pressure and where, and that's where the skill comes in as well and how long the stay, the cup stays on and how firmly we put it on. So that's where you need to be seeing someone that's highly trained and it's very dependent on age, female, male, is this person menstruating, are they not, are they injured, are they on medications? So if you're looking at someone, for example, with a lot of deep dark red or deep, deep dark red marks, they might actually have chronic inflammation and be on a lot of medication or um, even the contraceptive pill can actually cause a lot of issues with our blood health. So the coloring is a direct reflection on the blood health and the blood flow. Now that can also be tying into our liver function and how freely and efficiently the liver organ is cleansing our blood and pushing the blood around the body and blood pressure. There's everything is one tightly controlled machine. So when it comes to answering that question about how the cupping marks are actually going to recover that is entirely dependent on person to person.
0: Yeah, and how
1: well that cupping has been performed.
0: Yeah. And what what are the kind of I say majority of the reasons why you would cup someone? Is there kind of a oh, it's usually this issue that it kind of helps really well with or are there a whole host of different things and it's hard to answer that question in one go?
1: I cup every single patient except someone who's early stages pregnancy. Um, the trimester, most of the time I can go for it, especially if we're doing induction work, and we're trying to get them to go into labor. But the other case where we, I don't cup is someone who's extremely sick or extremely fatigued and I have to be careful how much energy I move around because their body might be dealing with a lot. But cupping, because we're in a modern world and our toxicity level is so high, a lot of us are sedentary or we're also overworked or we're stressed, stress causes stress chemicals to be pumped around the body. Then we do cupping, re- abling, ab- forcing that to be flushed around and for our liver to get rid of that faster. So there's almost, depending on the case, of course, there's almost no reason why someone shouldn't be getting cupping. It just depends on where and how it's being applied, which is what makes it medicinal or not. There are cases where cupping's done and it's done too firm or left on for too long or it's not put in the right place. So in Chinese medicine on the back, you've got meridian points as well, and we can cut points to help stimulate the spleen and the liver, which are going to affect our detoxification efficiency as well as our immune system function, So um, that is, there. in my personal opinion, there's always a benefit to cupping because of the level of toxicity in our world, our food, water, air. It's just all of our livers are
0: effed
1: on some level, and they'll add on top of that chronic stress and medication. So we can always benefit. Yeah.
0: Sounds good. Um, the other question that kind of came through was around um, tea, and someone's asked the best tea to drink before sleep. Sorry, hmm. for sleep. Is oh, there a okay. good tea to kind of have for sleep? Oh, gotta think about this for a second. Um,
1: <laughs> okay, so I'll give you the technical answer because in Chinese medicine, it depends on the pattern and what's going on with someone. Someone might have trouble sleeping because they've got a lot of heat in their what we call the upper jowl, which doesn't mean anything to a Westerner. What it means is that um, the, the heat is causing the heart to feel restless and the spirit can't relax. So someone might benefit from herbs that help clear heat. them feel calm so a herb for example to help that pattern would be mint Um, but each chinese herb or just herbs in general all have an energetic property so they're hot neutral or cooling in nature or cold so for example chamomile is a very common uh, tea but it has a slight cooling nature so someone who's also has too much internal cold in their digestion because we look at things in yin and yang someone having chamomile all the time might actually not be good for them what I'm saying is it depends on the case and that's the part where the western medicine has not explored the energetics of it being hot or cold in nature so I can't give you a one-blanket answer uh, <laughs> any good practitioner would probably explain the same way but um, there are you can also take magnesium I mean most people are magnesium deficient because our soil quality is poor And you can look at making sure you have a good night routine and perhaps some homeopathic drops to help you relax. And for the herbal medicine aspect, you can seek consultation with your herbalist.
0: (laughs) Okay, Very well diplomatically said as well. (laughs) Um, I really, again, I'm going to go back and say it again. I really appreciate, um, as I said, your openness and your honesty. And I guess, um, I mean, we've been on this kind of word and we've said it a few times, but your energy today, I've really enjoyed it. And i really, uh, as I said, appreciate, Um, your time and um, for allowing my curious mind to come in and just kind of ask questions and for you to again I didn't feel judged by you and I I felt that you were very open to yeah let your curious mind go go nuts and please ask your questions and so I really felt that and I really appreciate that and so yeah thank you so much for your time today. Oh
1: my honor and you're welcome. Excellent. Um,
0: (laughs) I always uh, want to make sure that people can obviously find who I'm talking to as well, so um, I'll yeah. put it in the show notes. But just so you can say it verbally, is there a place that people can best find you? Is there a website, or if they come, obviously yeah. come and see your clinic? Just please feel free to uh, red carpet yourself now and uh, let everyone Woo-hoo! know where to find yourself.
1: <laughs> um, Dr. Uh, so Doctor. Rosie with a Y. Dot Chinese Medicine on Instagram, or www. Au. Um, so they're probably the best two platforms. A lot of people communicate through Instagram seems to be the way.
0: Perfect. Yeah, well, um, as I <laughs> said, I'll, um, I'll get those details off you and I'll put them in the show notes for people to uh, find should they want. And the only thing that I need to now finish this up on is I always make sure that uh, I ask a random question to each uh, guest that has come from last week's guest. This one, it's, uh, a, a very simple question, I will say. So, um, but maybe it's not so um, simple. But I'll ask you: Which cuisine has your favourite food, and why?
1: Oh, Italian risotto because it's warm and mushy and comforting.
0: Perfect answer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it's it. Not, yes.
1: Not the most <laughs> profound response.
0: But. You didn't have to think about that at all. You went straight to no. it. So oh, it's yeah, uh, risotto it's great. all the way. I love Ahead it. The
1: other night, that's probably why.
0: So. <laughs> um, tell me what your favourite risotto is
1: oh mushroom risotto again just mushy mm.
0: yeah. I, I can remember <laughs> I, I'm gonna say it was either our second or our third date Um, I think I make a pretty good risotto and I remember actually making a risotto yeah. for my now wife when we were on our I said second or third date there and I even remember her looking at me she goes this man can cook this, this is, I think I might've got a snaggy or a kind of thing. And I, I'm not going to say it's what helped me um, get her across the line and kind of yeah. us dating long-term, but I definitely think that my risotto was a good one. And I, I love it like a pumpkin type risotto. Um, I'm a really big fan of pumpkin. So that was uh yeah, just my sharing of risotto. I love risotto as well. I think it's fantastic. Um, now I need to ask you yep, a random a qu- question for next week's guest anything that comes to mind of any topic, it can be related into what we spoke about today, or you can go off and complete tangent and ask, but feel free to ask any question of next week's guest.
1: No, just what is your purpose? Yeah, I think that's a great question. All of us need to be staying connected to. What is connected your Um uh, Cheesy, but concise and <laughs> also very important because no. I think if we stay connected to our purpose here, we will have almost unlimited energy to some extent. And that will help us just stay well, which is important, staying healthy and well.
0: Couldn't agree with you more. Um, yep. Rosie, thank you again so much for your time, and I really appreciate our conversation. And um, I look forward to getting back to Melbourne sometime, and I'll, I'll certainly reach out and say hello if I'm, uh, yeah, if I'm there. Uh, it would be great to catch up in person.
1: Yes, and if anyone listening uh, contacts me on Instagram, just feel free to ask me questions, and I can talk to you on the phone if you're a bit nervous about finding if, out if I'm the right person for you. Or I can recommend someone in your area by all means. Just get, get help, guys. Doesn't need to be with me. Yep.
0: Sounds good. I love it. Yep. Um, guys, that's been another episode of the Let's Just Talk podcast. I thank you for your time. I thank you for your... Uh... Continued listening. Um, I know I continue to go on Ramble sometimes, but you guys have been around for a long time. I think we're 230 episodes deep. So it really means a lot that you guys are still here, that you're still listening. So I appreciate it all. Share it out, like it, do all of those things. I'll see you next week. I love you all. Bye.